0: and a word of prayer and we'll get into our topic Father thank you so much for this day you've granted to us a gorgeous day out we're so thankful for it and for being here together to worship you and to study your word I pray that you would challenge us from it open our hearts and minds to the truth here and thank you for this wonderful day in Christ's name Amen um, it looks like what we're going to have next. well next week of course is the video and hopefully I can get through this material and if I can then the week after that we're going to spend the whole week on the whole idea of tongues and healing so we'll talk about we want to make sure that's gonna we want to make sure we cover that so it's gonna go um, instead of 13 weeks you got 14 weeks but that's the beauty of this Um, we go until we get it done so don't worry about that so that'll be the next couple of weeks let's look let's go back and discuss our topic of spiritual gifts if you remember um, where we were at here we got into we finished the permanent speaking gifts Yes, I don't have any
1: extra
0: ones. I don't have any extra ones. We ran out. You have to share with your husband. Can you do that? All right, I want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, we don't have any extra ones unless we could con Teresa and the copying couple. Do you have it on your PC? You don't? All right. Okay. Um, sorry, we don't have extra ones, but uh, we'll have to. We'll have them next week. We talk about the permanent speaking gifts, the gifts of prophecy, which is what? What's the gift of prophecy basically? Teaching, preaching, profane to speak before, to speak before someone. Prophecy, our problem is what we usually do is we equate prophecy with the predictive component. We're always predicting things. That's really not what the New Testament prophecy is. New Testament prophecy is just someone who speaks before someone. And by and large, what was the um, activity of the Old Testament prophet? What did he do? Most of the time. He preached, right? He wasn't predicting. Every time Isaiah opened his mouth, he wasn't predicting the future. Most of the time, he was just speaking about things that God had already revealed. He was that day's modern preacher. And then we talked about the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. This is not somebody getting revelation directly from God while they're preaching. This is talking about those who have the ability for the word of wisdom, have the ability to apply the word of God to people's lives. And some people do that. You know, There are some people that when you're in a jam, you want to go talk to them because they just know how to take the principles of the Word of God and just make them alive and help you. That's the wisdom. Then there's the knowledge, the Word of Knowledge. Again, this is not a revelation from God. Rather, it is somebody who has the ability to understand in a deep way the Word of God. There are times when you go and listen to people preach and you just shake your head, scratch and say, where did he ever come up with that? It's right there in the text. How could I have missed it? I know a lot of times when um, I hear Pastor Jim preach, I say, you know, I've read that passage 20 times and he found something I didn't. Alright, that's the, that's the beauty of God's Word. No matter how many times you go back to it, and you think, a lot of people say, well, I figured that one out. I figured out the book of Romans. I got it all down pat. And then you go back through it again, and you find that there's a lot there that you just missed the first time. And that's knowledge. And then we got into the permanent serving gifts. We talked about the serving gift of ministry. Serving or helps, all of these are synonymous. And the idea there is there are people that have the have the ability to just keep the, the wheels greased in a church. You know, um, keep the lights on, keep the floors clean. You know, just make sure that uh, bulletins are done. Did you know that producing a bulletin could be a spiritual gift? Putting together a bulletin or putting together the door? That's a spiritual gift, people, and that's that's really necessary for the body of Christ. Probably, if um, if we had a lineup and you had to pick out who did the bulletin, you would not know who they were. You, yeah, you know who they were. But if we had five, we had five people come in and line up in front, and your job was to figure out who does the bulletin, you probably couldn't, you probably wouldn't know who it is. But how necessary is that for Sunday morning to have the bulletin? Or here's another one. What about all the audiovisual guys to keep the Microphones going and keep the video on and, and coordinate all that. You don't you don't see them up front, right? But they're there making sure that the wheels are greased and everything's going. The custodians. The custodians. Yeah. And if they
1: weren't
0: there. And I, I think you know Don Dinovic, look the guy that runs the bookstore and and make sure that you have something to eat after church. That's all. That's all can be a spiritual gift. Also
1: the greeters.
0: Yeah, the greeters. Mm-hmm. You know this is this is probably the most common spiritual gift in the church the gift of helps and it's a necessary gift if it wasn't for these people the church will come to a grinding halt so we need people who have this gift and just because you might have one of these gifts don't go around remember the eyeball foot syndrome don't go around thinking that you're not needed or you're not necessary or it doesn't matter whether I show up or not look at the greeters you know the greeter is the first point of contact that people have with our church you've never been here now, what if you get some bozo doing that? Oh,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Alright, you don't want that, right? You want people who have that gift. And there are people that just love to just greet and talk to people and just... That's not me, alright? But there are other people that that's, their, that's what they like to do. That's necessary. That's a spiritual gift. And we need to encourage people who, who have that gift to do that. Because it's necessary to the functioning of the body of Christ. And remember when we talked about the ministry serving or helps gifts, we talked about the foot and eyeball syndrome in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The eye cannot say, I don't have any need of the foot, right? Because if you had 20-20 vision and no feet, you wouldn't get to see a whole lot, would you? You might see it in 20-20, but you wouldn't see much, all right? And the foot can't say, well, because I'm not the eye, I'm unimportant. The foot is needed. The eye is needed. And Paul uses that uh, illustration of the body, the physical body. There are so many pieces of you right now that you don't think much of, but if you didn't have them, you'd be dead. All right? And that's what Paul's trying to get at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that all the pieces of the body, all of the parts of the body, are necessary for the health and well-being and functioning of the body. Of the body of Christ, there's no one component that is more or less important than the other. They've all been designed for a reason. They've all been designed for a purpose, all right. And that's one of the things that you have to avoid because a lot of times there are people who, you know, well, I'm not the pastor. You know, I, I can't speak very well. I, I I don't know how to talk to people. But I, you know, it doesn't matter whether I show up at church in the morning or not because they don't re- they don't really miss me. Well, there are some pieces of your body that you don't even know are there, but if they were missing, you'd be in trouble. We all need to be here. That's that's the beauty of spiritual gifts. Another permanent serving gift is the gift of giving. We talked about this just a little bit last week. There are people... This is not. We're not talking about the general giving that we're all to do, right? We're all to be givers, all right? But there are some people that give above and beyond and over and... You know, some people you look at and you say, you know, what are they doing? My mom is one of those. My mom has this spiritual gift of giving. She will give anything to anybody for any reason at any time. I've never seen it. I've never seen anybody like that. Um, That's just the way she is. Um, She doesn't even give a. She doesn't care why they're in the jam they're in. She doesn't care what mess they're in. She doesn't care how they got there. If she sees a need, she wants to fulfill it. She wants to give. And I have to pull a little my hair out sometimes, saying, "Mom, you know, you got to watch it here. You know, I, it, it's good. Yeah, there's, I'm running out. You want to give, but you got to." She's a big giver. She's a big giver, yeah. You know? And I want to say, "Mom, you, you got it. Yeah." My dad and I, we just, we just go, we just shake our heads sometimes, saying, "You know, it's okay to give, but you, you know." there's got to be a balance to that, you know. And interestingly, think about this, you know, a benevolence committee in the church, the benevolence fund that we take after every offering. You want that run by people that have the gift of giving, but who else do you want on there possibly? Someone with, Someone with the gift of discernment, right? So that you don't get taken advantage of. And that's okay. See, that's why that's why there's that balance, you understand? There's that balance and it's interesting because you have these two complementary gifts. The person with the gift of giving is being driven nuts by the person with the gift of discernment because they don't understand why you've got to slow down and why you can't help this person. What's wrong with you? Are you being hard-hearted? Are you being cruel? Are you being unkind? And then you've got the person with the gift of discernment saying, What's wrong with you with the gift of giving? Don't you have any sense? Don't you see what's going on? All right. So you have that give and take and see that's why in the body of Christ what we need to learn and we talked about this earlier is sometimes people with a different gift, we need to listen to them. We need to understand that they have that gift. If I have the gift of giving, I need to be sensitive to the person with the gift of discernment. And maybe there are times when I should give and maybe there are times when I shouldn't give. And the person with the gift of discernment needs to listen to the person with the gift of giving Because maybe there are times when you need to give Even though you think it may not be right Necessarily You've got to You've got to go in between there. And that's the interesting thing with my mom And my dad and myself My dad and I We have more of the gift of discernment Mom has the gift of giving And she would give everything away And then it comes to the end of the month And she can't pay her rent Because she's giving it away And so Yeah <laughs> It's an interesting thing to see my parents work this out. <laughs> because they're opposites, all right? But God has designed this in the church as a balancing. If everybody had the gift of discernment, would anybody get helped? probably? No. If everybody had the gift of giving, what would happen? Yeah. So you got to have a balance, all right? But when we talk about the gift of giving, there are people that have this gift. And they just give above and beyond with liberality, with joy. Their greatest joy in life is to just give, give, give. All right, with no thought of themselves. And that is a gift. All right, and we need people like that. If we didn't have people with the gift of giving, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today in this nice building. All right, there are people that give far above and beyond what normally we would think would be reasonable to give. But that's their gift. And we need to allow them to do that. Some of the gift, gift, or people with the gift of giving in the New Testament, we think of Mary. What did she do? She took a year's supply of ointment and broke it. And what did Judas say? Judas was one of those ones with the gift of discernment a little bit, wasn't he? Well, he was a thief too, but, you know. Right. No, I, I understand. That. I'm using this as an illustration. What was his immediate response? Give it to the poor. Well, he didn't want to give it to the poor. He wanted it for himself, but... You know, he was not the one he was not the giving kind, was he? He was the getting kind. And what did Christ do? Christ rebuked Judas and said, She's done this. And and you know, she that's a year you've got to understand in those days. That was that was a lot of money. Think about you going and breaking a vial of perfume worth forty thousand dollars. See, Barry's coughing already. He's got to get the discernment, see? He can't handle that. No. <laughs> All right. But but that's what she did. She had the gift of giving. The early church, remember, what did they do with their property? Sold. They sold it and brought the money to the apostles to give to the church. Ah, uh, the Philippians, remember Paul commended them for giving above and beyond. He said, You gave money that you didn't really have to give, but you gave it with liberality and joy. The Macedonians, by the way, the Macedonians is where Philippi was in Thessalonica They gave above and beyond And we need those kind of people to give above and beyond Now all of us are to give, right? But there are some people that have that gift of just giving above and beyond And they do it with joy, they do it with liberality They're not worried about, you know, where. and it's interesting Those who have the gift, somehow they seem to always have more to give, don't they? God, God takes care of them. There's another gift here called ruling or administration. Um, the Greek word there, kubernetes, is an interesting word. It refers to steering a ship. It's the rudder on a ship. You have people that have the gift of administration. What is this gift? It's the ability to lead Christian ministry in things. If we didn't have somebody with the gift of administration in this church, we wouldn't know when or if our bills are paid, would we? We wouldn't know where our financials are at. We wouldn't know if we have any money in the bank or not. You need people that have the ability to organize things. There are some people that have, they could just organize anything. all right. And you need those kind of people. all right. Um, for example, uh, Brian Johnson, who's our new executive pastor, this is part of his gifting, is to administer, to lead. That is a spiritual gift. Now, they get irritating for people in ministry, don't they? Because if you're in ministry, what do you want to do? Minister. Bag the rules, you know, come on, let's get going here. Let's minister. No, we got to make sure that, you know, we got our roster, you know, we got to sign in the class. Did everybody sign in? I'd get beat up by Dan if you didn't. Say, Dan has a little bit of this gift of administration, you know. Mm-hmm. and And, you know, sometimes those kind of people irritate us, but we need them because we need people. To make sure the ship is going in the right direction, don't we? We need people to make sure that our financial plan is on track. That when the gas bill comes due three weeks from now, we have money in the bank to pay it. Alright, we've got to make sure that we have those kind of people. And that is a spiritual gift. It's needed to steer and administer, um, administrate the church. Now, does a pastor necessarily have this spiritual gift? No, not necessarily. All right, not necessarily. And that's why, for example, you know, when you think, wait a minute, you know, Pastor Jim, he's the one that should be leading things. Well, if Pastor Jim was worrying about whether the bills get paid or not, what would the preaching have? What happened to the preaching? Yeah, you need, you understand how we need everybody? Everybody fits into this thing. And if Jim is going to do the best he can at preaching, he needs somebody to make sure the electric is on and the bills are paid and the gas bill is paid and he needs to make sure that somebody's there with the sound equipment and make sure that people can hear what's going on and see what's going on. We're all needed in this. We think, you know, if the preacher doesn't show up, nothing happens. Well, listen, you need the preacher, you need the sound guys, you need the custodians, you need all of us. All of us are needed. And don't think that you're not, because you are. But ruling administration is for those people that help steer the ship. That help organize things. And, and can organize people. and can organize. There are some people that just love to organize, um, like women's ministries. You've got to organize that. You've got a little bit of this gift. You're able to organize and make sure that the people are there on time and make sure that the coffee is there. You know, that's all organization. All right? And, and that's needed. The gift of mercy this is the person who emphasizes with people in their distress if you want to know an example of this um, I think of Bob Schroyer. Mm-hmm. Alright Bob Schroyer was a wonderful man he couldn't preach worth a nickel mm-hmm. but if you were sick he's the one you wanted to show up. He's the one you wanted in your hospital room when you were sick because he had the gift of mercy he could just walk into a room and you could just feel you know sort of the light go on you could feel the joy you could feel the Holy Spirit with him and I mean he was the one that you wanted there alright the gift of mercy compassion pity now unfortunately I don't have this gift I often said when I show up in a hospital room people want to pull the tubes out when they're done I'm not I'm just not
1: I'm not that,
0: maybe not that bad, but I'm not, I'm just not someone that you necessarily want in your hospital room. Because I don't empathize very well. It's not that I don't care. It's just I don't have that ability like he did to empathize. You understand what I'm talking about. There are some people when you're sick, you say, oh no, now here they come. you know. And there are other people that you just look forward to stopping by and... Saying hi. Are you sure suicide is not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it refers to compassion and pity, and and we have people that just have that. They just exude that, and that is a necessary thing for all of us. Um, some examples in the New Testament would be, for example, the the Good Samaritan. When he saw that man beaten by the side of the road, what did he do? He had compassion. the Greek word there refers to the bowels of your stomach it means to feel in the pit of your stomach to feel compassion and pity Christ what did Christ have he had the gift of mercy right he saw people who were sick and hurting and he reached out to them Dorcas remember what did she do she made things for the sick the widows the orphans Um, now are all of us to exhibit mercy to a degree Right, because God has certainly given us a lot of mercy, hasn't he? And one of the things you're finding, I think, as you go through here, is all of us, to a degree, need to exercise all of these gifts, right? Mm -hmm. To a degree. But all of us may not have them as a spiritual gift. I need to be merciful. I can't go around saying, well, I have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't need to give anything. I can't do that, right? Right. Or I can't say, well, I have the gift of teaching, but I don't have the gift of mercy, so I don't need to be merciful to people. I don't need to show them any compassion. I can't do that, can I? I need to exhibit that that, um, mercy. I need to exhibit mercy. I need to do giving, but I may not have that spiritual, empowered gift of giving and mercy. Do you understand the difference here? All of us are to do these to all. All of us need to have a little bit of the gift of knowledge, right? But not every one of us in here is going to be a Bible scholar, read Greek and Hebrew before breakfast. All of us need the gift of wisdom. We all need to apply the word of God to our lives. But there are some of us that are just able to to really do that to a degree that others can't. But we're all to have a little bit of the gift of wisdom. One of the things you want to make sure of is you don't want to say, because I don't have that gift, I don't need to do it. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but what are you to do? Evangelize. You may do it a different way. You may not be an evangelist like a Bill Bright or or Daryl Farney, but you need to evangelize. So we need to make sure we're in a balance on all of these things. But there are some people that just have this gift that just, when you're sick, when you're beat up, when you feel bad, you just want them around because they just have a way of lifting your spirits. And Bob Schroyer, of all the people I know of, Bob Schroyer was one of these guys here. He had the ability to just lift your spirit. when when you were sick the gift of faith what is that the ability to believe God for the impossible there are some people that believe God can do things that most of us don't even know God can do And and we need those kind of people right now are all of us to exhibit faith right but there are some people that have the ability to believe God above and beyond anything we can think of In history, one of these guys was a man by the name of George Mueller. You ever hear of him? George Mueller ran an orphanage in London. I think it was London, England. Ran an orphanage. And uh, he was a man of prayer, probably one of the greatest men of prayer that ever lived. And he had the ability to believe God for things above and beyond anything. I think the story goes, he was coming over to America, and he needed some money for something. And he prayed. I'm pretty sure it was George Mueller... And he needed some money. And he prayed that God would deliver the money. And as he got off the boat, a stranger walked up and handed him the money. Now most of us say, Oh, come on, you get out. That didn't happen. It did. Another time he had the kids down, it was breakfast time. They didn't have any food. They didn't have any bread to eat. And he had all the kids sit down and he prayed and thanked God for the food. But there wasn't any food. And just as he finished his prayer, there was a knock at the door and a guy says, I run the local bakery and my the wheel came off of my um, cart out there. I have a whole bunch of bread that's going to go to waste. Can you guys use it? See, what God did, had a big angel go out there and kick the wheel off. The, you know? He did this again. I mean, you, you read his story. You go and read his story and again and again and again and again you see God moving in ways that are almost miraculous because he had the faith to believe
2: that's so similar to uh, in the early 70s no food and five kids sitting at my sitting at the breakfast table mom was for breakfast And mom had a jar of pickles and a jar of water in the refrigerator and nothing in the cupboards and i'm not exaggerating so i answered to them well I'm working on something kids. and so I go in the kitchen they're sitting at the table and I pray and after the amen, there's just a few short minutes that's go go by and on my back door there's a knock. it's a kid across the street. Miss. Dyson, that bike that's been laying in your front yard, can I buy it? And the bike had been laying there for days because it was rusty and my my stepson didn't want it, etc. And I say to the boy, you don't really want that. Party. I think you better take a second look. Oh, I did. It's I wanted. It. It's a nice Okay, son, go talk to your mom because she might disagree. He comes back in no time flat. Early 1970s, with ten bucks in his hand, I'm able to buy food for a week, and that is just I. I Ooh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sometimes you think, well, is God really up there? And then he pulls one of these things off And you realize, yeah, he is It's a gift of faith There are people that have the ability To believe God for the impossible Now, I hate to say this I don't have this gift I believe God But it's hard for me to believe him for the impossible To my almost shame But think about it Now, now how do you get more faith, by the way? How, how you, how do you, can you get more faith? you can You can get more faith by exercising, and it 's like a muscle, right? The more you exercise it, the more the stronger it gets. But there are some people that believe God for the impossible, just so you know we were talking to Brian Johnson, who's our new executive pastor, and he said he is praying that God would bring us fourteen, thousand new converts. We're now down to 13,995, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. we got five, we're, we're five. But he's, And I'm thinking, he's an idiot.
1: <laughs>
0: and then I have to ask myself, wait a minute now.
1: Okay.
0: What did Christ say? If you have the faith, the grain of a mustard, mustard seed, what kind of faith do I have? Mm. See, our problem is we believe God, but do you really believe God? I mean, do you really, really believe God? you really believe him? We all in here, we believe God is sovereign, right? I'm talking to myself here. I believe God is sovereign, but when I think of the election, I get all worked up. Now why? Isn't that stupid? You realize that no matter who is elected, it's not going to impact God's plan one bit. In fact, it's going. To, it's part of God's plan, isn't it? So why are we all upset? Why do we get all hot and bothered and worked up and in a lather over this stuff? What, what kind of faith? You know, the world should be looking at us and seeing the calm and the serenity. It's interesting at work, the Dow Jones goes down, what, 2,500 points this week or something? I forget how many. I lost track after the first little bit. And everybody's talking about it. And it's like, well, you know, I've got money and investments. and It's God's money, Right? Do I need to be worked up and in a lather over what's going on and get all excited and hot and bothered? And I asked somebody, I said, are you about to jump out of the window? He says, I can't get the window open. There's too many bodies in front of it from the floors up, up you know. Um, he said, if I jumped out the window, I don't have far to go because I land on all the bodies below me. You know. Um, look, folks, we need, as people of God, we need to exercise this gift And when things are melting down around us, it is easy for us to sit there and say, "We believe God." Well, let me tell you, do you really do that? It's easy to believe Him when things are going right, okay? (laughs) But can you believe Him when things look like a mess?
2: That's when be anxious, but nothing.
0: That's right, and and it's interesting when you read the Book of Revelation. Read Revelation one through three. That's the message of the churches, right? Remember, what's in Revelation chapter four? What does John see? He's given a vision of what? The throne of God, right? A vision of heaven. And when he sees this vision of the throne of God, what does he see? Does he see chaos? Does he see does he see anybody up there biting their nails in heaven? What does he see? He sees God on the throne, he sees perfect calm, perfect peace. In fact, heaven is full of praise, but what's now happening down on earth? All hell's breaking loose. And yet in heaven, what is it? God's on the throne, folks. Is he on the throne or is he not? Well, if he's on the throne, we need to act like it, don't we? And sometimes, i you ever talk to yourself? You ever scold yourself? Well, you need to scold yourself sometimes and say, what's wrong with you? You know, what did David do? Why art thou disquieted, O my soul? Hope thou in God. He, he chewed himself out now and then. Every once in a while, we need to give ourselves a good scolding and say, you know, you talk about... God in charge, you talk about God on the throne, you talk about the sovereignty of God, and then some problems come along and you immediately freak out like everybody else. What's wrong with you? It doesn't mean you're not to be wise, it doesn't mean you're not to do the wise thing, but listen, we get way too much, we get way too worked up over this stuff.
2: And that's what Satan loves, because in the everyday marketplace life, we don't, Look much at all different from everybody else in terms of yeah. our what you're talking about. Yeah. In terms of a bunch of other things too, but that's not the question, so this What we're talking, but yeah, that has really impacted me in the last couple of weeks, less than a month, two, three weeks. I really have been impacted by the fact that on Sunday mornings at eleven o'clock. We go to our club meeting for club members and we pay our dues, maybe, and we go out where we're supposed to deliver the message that we learned in our club meeting, but we don't because of all kinds of stupid reasons. Fear and nervousness, and I don't know enough about my club rules and regulations to articulate them well enough. So I'll just shut up. And I really have been deeply, deeply impacted about how our faith doesn't reveal itself in the everyday marketplace and all the ways in which it should.
0: Yeah. I think all of us are in that same boat. Yeah.
1: I went um, Thursday night that Stephen Curtis Chapman concert and his testimony was very harmful and that mistake is, he said that after that accident happened and he lost his daughter, he had to make a decision whether he was ever going to sing again because he could never sing again if he didn't mean those words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was really
0: God wants us to have faith. God wants us to be different. We are to be a testimony to the world around us. And when you have a meltdown happening, either in finances or politics or whatever, and we freak out and we have the same anxiety and the same things that the world has, what kind of testimony is that? doesn't mean that we don't have those, is it? But how can we handle those? We can handle those by trusting God. Do you trust God or do you just say you trust God? And we need to have that. And there are people that have this gift, but we all need to work on this one. Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh, but I think it is a work. I think it's something, I mean, you can't just, you know, like him, he had to really work through that. Sure. And decide. I mean, it wasn't like, okay, well, I'm okay with it right away. It's something that I even see myself when you go through things. You might react hysterically at first, but then you get yourself in And And really, you see
0: this in the book of Psalms. I mean, the book of Psalms is a wonderful book. Because in it, you see David, you know, he starts out, he's freaking out, he's got all kinds of trouble. He doesn't know what's happening. Then he starts remembering what God has done in his past. He starts remembering how God did this and how God did that. And by the end of the chapter, he's praising God. He's, you know, Everything's okay. And we have to do the same thing too, right? When, when things melt down around us, we say, now, wait a minute, You know, I remember when God did this for me. I remember when God took care of me there. And God took care of me there. He'll take care of me here. And we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to go back and replay in our mind the faithfulness of God. Yeah.
1: And he was travel back and forth between so schools like he always does and he was the nicest guy. He was so gentle and kind and nice. And him and his partner, um his partner and I would get into it about God verbally at my mm-hmm. desk where I sit, we would talk and I'd say, No, it's like this, Larry, God and
0: and he you know, and I explained to him and the whole time
1: Robert would just listen and he would smile and he would know, you know, he would smile like he would be on my side about it, but but I never really engaged with Robert on who he thought Jesus Christ was. But he heard the conversation between mm-hmm. me and that guy who doesn't um, believe. And my idea, my thought, when I prayed for him, and I've been praying for him for years, was for to live before him in, in a way that would bring glory to God. But you know what? I should have been talking to. I should have said. Yeah. I should have engaged him. On who he Vance
0: Havner said, "It's you need to live the gospel, but every once in a while, it's good to open your mouth." Yeah. Um, and he's gone,
1: and it happened that yeah. fancy walk with us, and he was all, you know, we're all doing our own thing, and it was that bad. I would have never thought he would have ever been taken. Yeah. Like that. You know, somebody else who lives badly. Actually, the guy I talked to, I thought, wow, you're, you know, Ooh. you know, but mm-hmm. this guy was such a good guy, and. I should have said something out loud, and I should have engaged him in
0: kindness. But you didn't. But one of the... Yeah. and, and You know, I, I think... You know, when you look at this this concept of faith, what it is, is just us trusting God day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, that he's taking care of us. And that when, when the world is, is, you know, freaking out, and when things seem to be heading downward and by the way it's going to get worse and worse isn't it we're told that you know so go along with it you know don't get all worked up and and, you know we keep thinking that well you know if we just get the right candidate in or something like that everything will come around no it won't no it won't Let's, let's, let's trust god on this one you know and let's let people see that we trust god and when we appear calm and cool and collected and they ask you what's wrong with you are you mentally ill We can tell them, no, we believe that God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's in charge. And he's got a plan. And I'm going to trust him on that. Even though I don't see the plan, and I don't have it in front of me, I'm going to trust God for it. And that's part of faith, is just trusting God when you don't have all the answers.
2: And what adds insult to injury is, as a believer, believer, when you're freaking out, not demonstrating faith, etc., the insult is somebody who's not a believer will sometimes say something to you that is that are words that should have come out of your mouth, yep. not out of an unbeliever's mouth. And that's when you really feel, oh, I, I need to repent for not having, you know, the faith.
0: And sometimes God brings those along mm-hmm. to just, I don't want rebuke us. We need to be rebuked in that situation. We need to be challenged at times and, and God does that, but you know, we we need to exhibit our, our faith. We need to live it out and let people see. And it's interesting here. Look at um, when you look at the New Testament, Christ ran into several people that he said had great faith. Who were they? Who are the great faith people in the gospels? Noah. Contemporary. Who are the contemporary great faith people that Christ ran into? The Syrophoenician woman, mm-hmm. right? She had great faith. The
1: woman that she, the blood for 12 years. she had great faith. The who, yeah. who,
0: are the who are the ones that had little faith?
1: <laughs>
0: isn't, that, isn't that how, how it is? Mm-hmm. The people that should have had the great faith were the little faith crowd. And the people who didn't know anything but trust to God for everything are the ones with great faith. So where do you land? Do You really
1: little faith people grew. They, they grew. grew with At
0: the end they, had great faith. they grew. But remember, Christ often said, "O oh, ye of little faith, mm-hmm. O oh, ye of little faith, you're in the storm. The, the, you know, the storm, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. O oh, ye of little faith, no, you're not. What's wrong with you guys? And a lot of times we go through the storms of life and we think we're going to drown. God, God has it. He's he's in charge. And we need to just rest assured that he's got a plan. Faith, and and by the way, let me tell you what faith is. All faith is, if you want to define faith, faith is believing God. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is, do I believe what God said or not? That's really what faith is. It's nothing more esoteric than that. Taking God at his word. And how many times has God let his people down in human history? Never. So why do you think you're the first one?
1: <laughs>
0: I have to ask myself. You know, I say, God, you've never let anybody down. What makes me think that I'm going to be the first one of your children that you're going to leave out in the cold and let down? Yeah. The challenge, as I see it though, is living surrender. Yeah. If we wake up every day and we think we're in control of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. So how many of us truly live surrendered every day? That's the challenge. That's one of our, one of our, church uh, three, you know, three L's: loving God, loving people, living right? surrendered. Do you live surrendered? You know, and let God let God work. Little faith. Matthew 14:21. The disciples on the sea. Boat's going down. Oh, ye of little faith. And then in Matthew 16, 18, um, this, this is the story where, you know, they left the town, they forgot to bring bread along and Christ said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes. And They think, well, he's chiding us now because we didn't get bread. Right over their heads. They missed what he was saying. Christ was not at all talking about physical bread. He was talking about beware of the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And what did Christ say? If I were to ever do a paraphrase of the New Testament, which I probably would never do, I would probably translate Christ's words to them and say, You bunch of idiots, don't you remember that I made, I fed 5,000 people? If we need bread, I can create it. What's wrong with you idiots? That's not what I'm talking about. It is. It is. It is.
1: You know. no patience.
0: Yeah, no patience. But then you see great faith. The Canaanite woman with a demonized daughter. Great is your faith. The centurion with a sick servant. Great is your faith. See, here's the interesting thing. Faith is contrasted to how much information you have. Right? What did Rahab know about God? What did she know? She didn't know a whole lot, right? What did she know? What did she remember? They, they
1: that the, God, the defended
0: them. And he destroyed the Egyptian army how many years before? Forty, right? Because they had wandered in the wilderness forty years. And she said, we remember how God destroyed the Egyptian army? She didn't know anything at all about God. She knew God's name. She had a vague idea of who he was. She knew he was powerful. And yet, what did she do with that information? She put her life on the line. She put her life on the line. We have the Bible. We have all of the information we've stuffed in our head all the years of church. We've seen God works in our lives. And when we're faced with a similar situation, what are we apt to do? God's going to let me down. Think about it. We have all the information, and yet we... Don't act upon it. Here's a lady who had nothing. Had very little information. And she was willing to stake her life on that. Because had they found those spies with her, they would have killed her, her family and the spies. She had great faith. Another spiritual gift is the discernment of spirits. It's talked about. By the way, all these gifts here, 1 Corinthians 12, you can go look them up. Discerning of spirits. What is the discerning of spirits? This is the ability to, to distinguish truth from error, false from true. Now this this here is one of my major gifts, I think. The ability to listen to somebody and know, you know, they're on they're they're okay, this person isn't. A lot of times I turn on the TV and I listen to some guy and 5 minutes I say, you know, that's not the voice of the shepherd. That's not I don't know what it is, I don't know exactly all the theological reasons but there's something wrong about him alright and I think all of us to some degree have faced that okay now do all of us need to be able to discern the spirits to some degree
1: yes.
0: yeah because if not you are gonna eat a lot of loco weed out there aren't you there's a lot of stuff out there that you will take in and I'm amazed how many times Christians listen to people that are patently heretics and they just think they're the greatest thing because they use God talk Jesus talk Bible talk they must be alright but they're not. You need to be able to discern truth from error. Now, what's the best way to get this, or to, to, to work on a gift like this? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, learn the truth. You know, it's interesting. They teach bank tellers to f- f- pick out counterfeit money by making them handle the real stuff. And you handle the real stuff all day long. When somebody passes you a fake bill, you can feel it. It's interesting how they do that, but that's true. If you want to be able to discern spiritual truth, just to, just immerse yourself in the truth. And when some error comes along, you can. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, pick it up. You'll you'll pick it up just like that. You'll you'll be able to pick it up. Um, it, it, it yeah.
2: It's so sad that so many. Uh, I'm going to say believers in quotes, and you'll hear why in a minute. So many believers don't have that gift because if they did, you wouldn't have 900 people drinking Kool-Aid. That's right. You wouldn't have hundreds willing to die in a building under a David Koresh, etc. People lying down under a Marshall Applegate lie waiting for spaceships to
0: come. Hellbot
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so discernment. I mean, those are all extreme examples, but yet we know that there's thats only a handful of many we could name. Uh, but within the actual Christian community that hears the actual word, I personally, and we all personally, probably know people that are just clueless. I mean, they believe
0: and, and, you. And know, this here is a very... This is a very maligned gift in the modern church and it's maligned in the sense that we live in a society where the greatest virtue is to live and let live, right? The greatest virtue is, look, you know, this is how I live my life, but I'm not going to get all bent out of shape if you have an alternate view of things. You know, the great sin today is to actually say, believe you're right about something. You're not allowed to do that. Right. You know, go to Oberlin. I, I think it. Go to Oberlin. Put on a bathrobe. Walk around Wilder Bowl and say you're Moses, and people will listen to you and interact with you. Go there and tell them the, the gospel, and they're going to want to run you off campus on a rail. All right. People don't want to be told the truth. And one of the things that we have is this 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 mentality has leaked into the church. And so often I've run into people where I will tell somebody, say, you know, you really need to watch out. For Joel Osteen, and they get mad at me. What right do you have to question him? What gives you the right to you? To, he might be a man. What gives you the right? And they get mad. Well, let me tell you, what gives me the right? I compare what Joel Osteen says to the Word of God, and there's a big disconnect. That's what gives you the right. Now, it's not my authority, right? It's not, it's not Alan versus Joel Osteen or Kagan or Hinn or any of these guys. It's, that's, not, that's not where you want it to be. It's Let's see what Benny Hinn says. Let's see what the Word of God says. And if there's a disconnect, who's wrong? That's not a trick question. Benny Hinn's wrong. All right. And you're not being cruel, unkind, unloving, hate-filled to point that out. Because one of the jobs of the elders in the New Testament was to... Weed, right? We talk about weed, feed, lead. You need to weed out the wolves that come in, not sparing the flock, but will tear them up. You need to do that. Yeah. we
1: selling
0: the books here the bookstore. We were. I, yeah. I talked to Uncle Don. We're not anymore. Uncle Don has de-Osteened us. Yeah. Well, we got we got rid of her too. Yeah. I'm telling them, what are you selling this stuff for, you know? But see, you got people in there that they don't, you know, it's, it comes in through Zondervan or whatever, the, you know, we get our books from, and we just think, well, you know, they talk about God, we'll stick it up there. And they have no idea what these people really believe. But we're working on that, yeah.
1: Well, once again, I mean, I think I brought this up a couple months ago. You know, you walk into the local Christian bookstore, and bear in mind that the word Christian has been politicized, mhm. Shelf there is mm-hmm. but when you inquire who owns Christian Bookstore, and they tell you the it's Zondervan Publishers, it's owned head, by Murdoch. Right, you immediately realize
0: this is a profit-driven. History. Oh, it is. And so, if it's fairly palpable, they've got it on the shelf. You know what makes Benny Hinn so popular? Well, his book Good Morning Holy Spirit sold a million copies. Right. Money in that, mm-hmm. whether it's true or not, is irrelevant. It's money, mm-hmm. you know. And and you know you got to understand when I'm, when I'm this this is one of my hot buttons. My 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 mercy is not showing on this one here, or lack of my mercy is not is showing here. But we're not doing people a service by allowing them to listen or to think that some of these people are okay. We're not helping them. We're hurting them. And again, understand, this is not a personal opinion, vendetta kind of thing. This is, let's see what Benny Hinn says, and let's see what the Word of God says. And you know what? There's a big difference. By the way, that's what that video is going to do next week. That video is going to show, this is what they said, this is what the Bible says, which one is right? The Bible says God is triune, Benny Hinn says there's nine members in the Trinity. Who's right? Yes, he does. Who's right? Who's right? Which one of them is right? So
2: we're gonna learn stuff we don't
0: know. You're going to learn stuff you don't know. See, and the problem is, this is this is how Satan packages this. Ninety percent of it's okay. Mm-hmm. If I gave you a beautiful piece of pie that was ninety-nine percent good, but at one percent strychnine, would you eat it? No. <laughs> All right. Well, we do that, Christian, in the Christianity every day.
1: Mm-hmm. and if people come in and they say oh, they got
0: that
1: in their house, so that must be okay. mm-hmm.
0: you know so mm-hmm. we've got a real responsibility to the community I know, I, I, when I was um, when I taught the class across the hall I forget what it is Messengers, Ambassadors, one of them I mentioned something like this and I had one of the ladies come up and she just railed on me for beating on Joel Osteen you know, I listen to him all the time he's a nice man he might be a nice man But it doesn't make them right. You don't don't, um, evaluate spiritual truth based on whether somebody's nice or not. The Mormons are nice people, but are they right? No. No. All right. They're nice, but they're not right. And one of the things, one of the challenges I have for people in the church when it comes to this is if you have somebody in the church with the gift of discernment, you need to learn to listen to them. Because they might be telling you something that you don't know or you're unaware of. Do I have the time to go and analyze the ministries of every person out there? No. But there are other people that can and do. And sometimes I may need to look at their analysis and see where they're coming from. Remember, what does 1 John 4 say? Test the spirits. Because not every spirit is of God. Not every spirit comes from God. you got to test them. That's part of your job. Um, you know, if you want a couple of examples of this, remember in Acts five, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, what was Peter able to pick up that the rest of the church didn't? They were lying. They were phonies. And what happened? They died. God was making a point. And the point was not that you had to give all of it to the Lord. That was not the point at all. The point is they said they gave it all. They wanted to give people the impression they gave it all. They lied. And Peter knew about it. Now, how did Peter know that? Discernment. The Holy Spirit. And by the way, remember in Acts chapter 8 what happens with Simon Magus. Remember him? Have a big... Revival going on up in Samaria. And Simon, who was a magician, comes to know the Lord. He's baptized, made part of the church. Part of the leadership, probably. And then Peter shows up. And they see that when, when the people got the gift of tongues, what did Simon want to do? He wanted to buy it. And Peter said immediately said, Oh, full of all subtlety, Mischief, you child of the devil. 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 Was Simon a true believer? No, he wasn't. He was not. He looked like it. He went forward. He signed the card. He prayed the prayer. He got baptized, but he was not a believer. Now, did Philip figure that out? The one leading the revival? No. But Peter did. There are people that have the gift of discernment in your church. You need to learn to listen to them. You need to learn to at least listen to what they have to say. And again, when we talk about this, this is not a personal kind of thing. This is, the person says this, the Bible says this, there is a difference. That's where it is. So
1: you don't have the gift of discernment, and when you listen to Joel Osteen, and you appreciate his preaching, how can you be at fault for that?
0: You can't, you can be naive. And see, that's the insidious nature of some of this stuff. Some of what Joel says is Okay. It's just when you look at the big picture, you find out there's something rotten in Denmark. And you got
1: to bring
0: the Alan to give the message, and you can reject it. you got to yeah, look at the other piece. And, and that's why you need to be careful. And, and again, don't. Th- this is a tough one here, because see, we live in a society where you're not allowed to judge anybody. We're not allowed to do that. And the problem, this is the greatest problem, the greatest problem is these same guys that are doing this are saying, you're not allowed to question what I'm teaching. Well, that's not what the Bible says, does it? What did the Bereans do? When Paul came into town and preached the gospel to them, they went and they took what he said and they checked it out to see if it was so. And what should you do when people preach to you? And this is my challenge to every every class. Don't take what I say as truth. Compare it to the Word of God. And if if, one, if, if it doesn't match, I'm wrong. The same thing with Pastor Jim, John MacArthur, Chuck Stanley. Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll, all of them. You compare it to the Word of God. Don't compare it to yourself. and Because this is, this is the truth here. This, this, this is what we're going for. This is the truth. And just because somebody says Jesus and God and Bible and things doesn't mean that they mean what we mean. The Mormons believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Does that mean that they're Christians? No, because they got a different Jesus. You've got to go beyond that. And, and you've got to learn, as, as Christians, you cannot allow yourself to be pressed into the, the world, world's mold of believing that everybody's okay as long as they're sincere. They're okay. Don't question. Don't judge. Don't, don't say bad things about people. And here's, here's something else. Something, if you pick up one thing from the class today, pick up this, this point here. Truth always says, test me. Error always says, let's get along. You understand that? Truth always says, test me. Error always says, let's just get along. So when somebody comes along and they want to just get along, you should have flags and alarms and everything else going on. Because that's a sign of error.
2: The thing that's so irritating... To me, the same the same voices that are saying, you know, whether it's let's all get along or whether it's, uh, you know, all roads lead to Rome or my truth and your truth equal, it's just whatever works. All those voices saying those things, and especially the judge not that you don't be judged, are the same exact voices who won't accept my truth. Right. Who will judge that I'm too rigid? Right. Who will do just what they're saying not to do?
0: The people who are supposed to be the most tolerant are the least intolerant to those who think they're right. That's
2: right.
0: To those who believe they're right, folks, th- this is this is really critical here. See, Satan doesn't care what you believe. Do you realize that? As long as you don't believe the right thing, he doesn't care what you are. That's right. I was talking to a lady at work who's a Mormon. She wants to convert me. <laughs> Yeah. And she says, I'm going to have you over for dinner sometime, but I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to get some guys from my church over there. You know, all right, you know. But, uh, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I said, y- your system is demonic. I told her, I said, it's demonic. Because I said, Satan doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care whether you're Mormon, he doesn't care if you're Buddhist or Jehovah's Witness or a Hindu. He doesn't care what you are, he doesn't care if you're a quote unquote evangelical Christian. As long as you don't believe the truth, he doesn't care what you are, really. That's the way he operates. And that's why truth is so important. Because listen, folks, if we don't stand and and fight for the truth, it gets lost. How long did it take Israel to lose the truth? Two generations. It was gone. In two generations, they lost the truth. Because they didn't fight for it. Now, that doesn't mean we want to be obnoxious or anything. We're not talking about being obnoxious. Mm-hmm. We are talking about there's, a, there's truth and there's error. You. And yeah, you, you know, you think we're tough on these people. What did you come? You call them, they are pus. How's that? They're scabs. They're, they're, they're scabs on your skin. They're pus. They're cloudless. They're waterless clouds. They're like a well without water, you're thirsty, you're stumbling through the desert, you come find a well and it's dry as a bone. It looks like they're going to promise something, but they're empty. They're like dogs that go back to the vomit. I mean, this is, what did Christ call them? Christ called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. And you're like a cup, you know, it looks really clean and cool on the outside. You look inside it and it's full of grossness and wickedness and excess. We're not tough on these guys, folks. Christ and Peter and Paul and all the rest of them are a whole lot tougher than we are. Because there's eternal destinies at stake. That's the issue here. There's eternal destinies at stake here. And we have people that God puts into the churches with the gift of discernment to keep us safe. To keep us... Your body has, has white blood cells in there. And what do these white blood cells do? They eat the bacteria. They eat the things that will kill you. And if you don't have white blood cells, you have AIDS and you die because you can't fend off the disease. And God has put into the body of Christ, metaphorically, white blood cells that seek out and attack and destroy error. And you need to depend on them. You need to trust them. All right? I beat this horse to death a little bit, but this is one of the things that I am really hot on because we have a real problem with it in the church today we have a church that is just we have if you want to look at evangelical Christianity we are completely undiscerning we don't whatever comes before us we just take in and you know well Joel Osteen must be preaching the truth he's got the biggest church in America that doesn't mean anything you know you can build a big it's easy to build a big church you know how to build a big church Tell tell them what they want to hear